0: I want to give a holler to all our new VIP members. So thank you to Charles Bonfiglio of Tent World. Damn Austin, you even got one of your past guests of the podcast as a member. And the answer is yes, there's actually a couple of them. And they're joining our membership to help you guys. And so if you want to get further relationships with actually some of the guests that I've had on the podcast, then I think it would be worth joining the membership. That's just my biased opinion. And if you wanted to hear Charles episode, his episode is actually 165. So go ahead and check that out and let me know if you can probably learn something from that guy because he's a wealth of knowledge and did one of our most recent group calls. But other than him, I want to make sure we give a shout out to some of our other new members. So Amy Baker in Oregon, Jarvis Ruthven in Wisconsin, Tyler Sargent from MTV's Jersey Shore, Daniel from The Workout Pros in Chicago, and Stephen Granger of Recall Rabbit in Austin, Texas. What a great city name, by the way. Uh, Mr. Al Jones of Great American Cookies in Houston, Texas. Jonathan Tuttle of Midwest Capital in Chicago, Illinois. And last but not least, Mr. Marvin Morris in Destin, Florida. So thank you all for becoming members and we look forward to helping you all with your business. Now on to the show.
1: What happened is that this guy was nabbed by the equivalent of the IRS in Australia, the tax authorities. He was nabbed at the airport, they got his laptop, and then they got the contacts of everyone on his laptop. And then one day, simultaneously all around Australia, they got every single person who was on the laptop like at six in the morning. So they went to my apartment and they actually just knocked on the door and searched my apartment for anything to do with AXE records. And then they went to my office and took all my computers, searched my computers, etc. So it freaked me out, like totally. Money, 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 money. So I tried lots of things. What I found is a lot of cases that it needed to sell and I wasn't that great at selling. Yeah, so honestly, I probably haven't shared this before publicly, but one of the reasons I did that is because the things that differentiated me in success now and also with the Google AdSense was how much I just executed when I saw something that was working. The Google AdSense strategy was a simple strategy and it was quite easy for people to see it. And I was making $400,000 per month, which is huge. There were some people that were doing the exact same thing. They were making $5,000 a month. I'm Rob Rawson and I'm actually from Sydney, Australia. 46 years old. I've been an entrepreneur really since I started in university. I was actually working in different businesses. I was starting my own businesses, even from university. So I've been an entrepreneur for quite a while.
0: And you say you're 46. This picture I'm looking at, are you already taking those anti-aging pills? Because you look pretty young in your picture.
1: I just started getting into the anti-aging movement right now, but no, I think that picture might be a few years ago. It might be only like four or five years ago, but maybe it's just a good picture of me.
0: Yeah, because you told us you're going to take anti-aging pills starting today. So it looks like they've already been working if that's the case. (laughs) So tell us what's your company and what does it do?
1: So I have Time Doctor which is time tracking and productivity in remote teams. We actually help you to understand what your team is doing when they're working remotely or around the world. For example, I have a team in the Philippines, in Pakistan, in multiple countries. I actually sit from my office in Australia with nobody at all sitting next to me. So I, like I literally we have over 90 people in our company, but I have zero in Australia, which is crazy. So I do it all completely remotely from my office here in Australia. But the software kind of keeps it all in track that I know what people are doing. I know that they're actually being productive and it tracks the time that they're working as well.
0: And you said 90 employees?
1: Yes, 90 contractors technically, but yeah, they're mostly full-time.
0: Wow, that's pretty amazing. Can you give us a size of like how many customers you might have or how much revenue you've done recently?
1: We're in the mid kind of 8,000 customers where each customer pays us an average of $50 a month. So we're over like sort of mid seven figures revenue.
0: Did you always think you're going to create a company like this where you have 98 contractors or so and none of them are even in your country?
1: It evolved to that. I was always entrepreneurial. So I was starting things and I wanted to be very successful financially. So I had that goal for quite a while. But yeah, I didn't know exactly where it's going to turn out.
0: And today, again, you're in Sydney. You're from Sydney as well?
1: Yeah, I'm from Sydney. Yeah.
0: If people were trying to get a better idea, I think I've talked to people or brought it up on other interviews or they probably understand these listeners about virtual assistants and like time tracking and why your software could be important and helpful. So what made you want to actually start this software?
1: I actually had a team in the Philippines and in an office. So everyone was in the same office. And then I wanted to get rid of the office, have everyone work remotely, but I wasn't completely trusting that everyone was going to be effective and productive when working from home. I wanted to get rid of the office because I literally just didn't want to live in the Philippines anymore. I just wasn't enjoying living there. And the office kind of always drawing me back there. Plus it's expensive, right? This even, although the team and the labor was relatively cheap the office was quite expensive so i thought i'd just get rid of that cost and have everyone work from home which was very effective but the software was to keep it all together to make sure that i know that people were working and are productive but then now it's expanded to over 20 countries and people it doesn't matter where they're from right so this gives a huge advantage so before i was hiring just in the philippines which was partly because it's low cost but there's only a limited number of people of the right kind of talent, right? They're not necessarily great at sales or at certain skills. So now we hire from everywhere. So if I'm looking for a salesperson and they're going to sell into the U.S., well, they probably need to be in the U.S. because getting someone in the Philippines just don't have the right language, even though they have perfect English, they're not able to sell effectively in the U.S. Whereas a developer, well, I have developers in Ukraine, I have developers all around. It's really, really effective and so much easier to hire great talent that way
0: when did you actually create this software
1: it was around 2011 as a free product then we started charging for it in 2012
0: and so we'll roll back to even how you got started and what you did before that because i think that it's kind of a cool part of your story that we'll jump into before you actually made this time tracking software you said you had these filipinos working for you what business were you doing because you didn't have the software obviously for them at this point in time
1: Yeah, so I actually had a business which was doing affiliate marketing and Google AdSense. So we had a massive Google AdSense play. It was AdSense arbitrage back in the day that was really making a lot of money and was quite effective. But it was more of a short term business opportunity where we would have pages that had different pages on thousands of different topics. And then we would advertise those pages and then we would make money from the advertising on the pages. We were paying Google ads at one stage. I was paying 400,000 a month, but I was making 800,000 from those same ads. So I was paying less than I was making, if that makes sense. So that's why I called it Google AdSense arbitrage because I was paying Google in a lot of cases and some other search engines to advertise. And then I was directing it to another page that had advertising on it. And then I was making a profit because the advertising on my page was making more than I was paying Google. This was only a short-term opportunity. A lot of people were doing that at that time. It was like 2006. I remember I got one check from Google and I'd just moved to the Philippines. So I was living with my parents. So they received the check in Australia. It was like $880,000. They like opened the, <laughs> They, they opened it like, oh, there's a check from Rob for $880,000. Like they had no idea what's going on. At least it wasn't like a porn website or something. But my parents are seeing this check from Google for 800000 It's like, what is going on here? Yeah, that was crazy.
0: Yeah, no, that's why I was going to distinguish and make sure I heard that right, where you said you were paying 4000 and you're making over 800000
1: 400000 yeah, yeah, per month.
0: Oh, you're paid four hundred thousand. Okay. That's all I'll say. I'm like four thousand to eight hundred thousand. Okay. So it's still four hundred thousand basically net profit. Yes. Wow. So what your parents say, that's pretty amazing.
1: I guess they weren't too concerned because it was from Google and they knew that I was an entrepreneur and they knew that I was doing all this stuff. Well we didn't mention that before that that I actually trained as a medical doctor, right? So I actually started.
0: Yeah. Well, then one second, why don't we go ahead and go back to that? Because I think now we've gotten at least an idea of like, okay, what your team was doing beforehand and why you made this software. So yeah, why don't we reel back to you actually going to college and then what you ended up doing from there?
1: Yeah. Well, well, starting right from the beginning, even in high school, I started doing some kinds of businesses, some coaching, et cetera. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I decided to do medicine because I got the marks and I thought it was like a really interesting career and just on the cutting edge, which it is. So I did that and I completed it. I even took a year off though because I was so entrepreneurial. I wanted to be successful as an entrepreneur. I listened to Jay Abraham. I'm not sure if you've heard of him. He's a marketing guru who's all about these unique marketing strategies. So I listened to him and and read all this stuff about marketing and I thought oh now I'm going to be a marketing consultant so I took a year off medicine to be a marketing consultant which was probably my first big adventure in terms of business trying to start a business from scratch doing nothing and I found that it was quite hard actually like my sales skills were terrible I wasn't comfortable talking to people in person and trying to sell something to them directly so I kind of failed at that ambition and I took the year off I did get a couple of clients but I just didn't really go anywhere, and I went back to medicine, completed my medical degree, and started working for a couple of years as a.
0: I'm going to cut in from time to time because or else your are is going to go really really quick. Sounds like. So, what year did you graduate, and how old were you when you became a medical doctor?
1: I graduated around 2000, I think it was.
0: Yeah, and how old were you at that time? I would have been twenty
1: six, five, twenty six.
0: Okay. And you're a full medical doctor at that point, right?
1: Yes, but not specialized. So that's just, you can work as a resident, but you can also work in country hospitals. So you can work in hospitals as a locum. I did that because I earned a bit more money. I only had to work one week a month and I worked nights. So it was 12 hours a day, seven days and I was earning a pretty good income doing that. But it was also really scary because I didn't have that much experience in the hospital at night. It's a pretty scary situation, but most of the time, not a very big hospital, so there's not many people coming in. Sometimes you even be able to sleep for a couple of hours, that kind of thing. So it was a good way to make money, but then I had the three weeks free, and during those three weeks, I was starting my business. I was doing, that's when I started the affiliate and the AdSense stuff.
0: Now, more than ever, we need people with the right skills to support our communities, especially the frontline workers who provide resources and care for those most in need. To help, LinkedIn is offering free job posts for healthcare and essential service organizations that need to quickly fill those critical roles with the people who will help us all. If you're hiring for one or more of these organizations, job posts on LinkedIn can help you quickly find the right people for your frontline. And one of the features that I like most with LinkedIn Jobs to help those frontline workers is being able to target those candidates by geographic area. See, LinkedIn can help you find those frontline workers from its active community of over 675 million members. LinkedIn Jobs creates candidates for the skills and experience you're looking for and put your job posts in front of qualified people who meet your requirements. So you can find the right person to quickly fill those critical roles to post a healthcare or essential service job for free or if you're in another industry and have some hiring needs visit linkedin.com/millionaire that's linkedin.com/millionaire terms and conditions apply so that seems like that plays well into again yeah you being able to work really hard for a week I imagine you probably need to take a couple of days at least to recover and then you got all that extra free time and then you want to do business. So it's still very interesting because anyone in the U.S. who becomes like a medical doctor, it's, it's really like, OK, they're 100 percent focused on that and not even thinking about anything entrepreneurial. It really seems at least till later in life when they have more money to, let's say, put in companies or something of that nature.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. And because you do all of that training, but I was like that. I was entrepreneurial even during my medical school. So I was thinking about it quite a few times. And as I mentioned, took the year off to try and be successful. I did start other things as well on the side, even during medical school. So I was starting various stuff. I mean, I got into multi-level marketing, which I think a lot of people do when they first start out in business. That's the first thing that they get introduced to. So I tried lots of things. What I found is a lot of cases that I needed to sell and I wasn't that great at selling, that I didn't feel comfortable with it. I actually even tried to do telemarketing to try and get comfortable, to try and be on the phone and learn how to get comfortable because I know that that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah, you're supposed to get selling, but I never felt really entirely comfortable. When I started doing this affiliate and AdSense stuff, It really fits well with my personality, which is more introverted and more kind of just in the background, trying to optimize things. Like I did extremely well in maths at school, just a bit more nerdy and intellectual and that kind of background type of stuff, which fits well with an internet business, but also with this affiliate. So I did the affiliate stuff. We were doing lots and lots of affiliate programs. Which is funny because in Australia, we don't really use checks at all. And so I was getting all these checks in the mail. And then one friend came up to my room and he's like, stack of checks. And he's like, what is going on here? So I was making actually really good money. I was already a doctor, right? But I was doing it from my parents. I was still living with my parents in, in my bedroom, in my parents' house. And just with this stack of checks, doing it all on the background. So yeah, it was a crazy kind of start, I guess.
0: If I'm looking at your timeline, I'm getting written down here. Was that 2006 to 2009 when you're talking about his affiliate business?
1: Yeah, the affiliate business started would have been around probably in 2003, but became more successful around
0: 2006. Okay. Is that when you started going full time on doing that versus being a doctor?
1: Yeah, around then I started going full time. I then also decided to move to the Philippines.
0: Okay, well, here one sec before you do all this. So basically, for six years, you're kind of the medical doctor. But again, your side hustle seems like you were just trying to figure out sales and trying to do anything business related. So eventually, you're able to make that transition. It sounds like your early 30s when you start doing that. Yeah. Okay. Coming out of medical school, did you have a lot of medical debt? Because that's usually the case here in the US.
1: No, it's a bit different in Australia. There is a small amount that you have to pay, but it's nowhere near the same as the US. So there's probably, I had like $30,000 in debt, and that debt is only paid off when you have a job. It's a much better situation in that regard.
0: Right. Versus the US, I imagine it's like two hundred fifty, three hundred thousand, 300000 or something like that, I think. Yeah. If I had to guess, so we're talking about like 10X, how much more? Okay. So that was one question I had. And then you said you're still with your parents' house. Why was that the case? Because it seems like Again, coming out of medical school, you'd be ready to kind of do your own thing. Seems like everything's going successful coming out of school.
1: I just didn't see any need. I guess I didn't have a girlfriend at that time. I wasn't going out as much. I was more focused on being an entrepreneur and working in medicine. And then I'm going for one week a month to this hospital. So I'm come back. It was just easy. I was being lazy and easy and also had a period where I had traveled for a year, so I hadn't really established myself. Eventually I kind of decided, well, this is enough. I've got to move out of home. I just want to have a bit more freedom. I did do that, but in the beginning it was still in my parents' place.
0: What do you mean by trouble for a year?
1: I took a year off to travel just around South America and just took a year off. This is before I started in a serious business capacity. I was just traveling. One of the reasons that I actually wanted to do business is I wanted to have the freedom to be able to work wherever I wanted to. I didn't want to have to work in nine to five as a doctor. I wanted to just be completely free to work whenever I wanted to and have the money to work and live wherever I wanted to and travel while I'm working as well. So that was one of my desires in the beginning, which I did achieve. Like I actually later did that.
0: Okay. So, yeah, I thought you said trouble, but you said travel. Travel, yeah. Okay. I guess i would make sure. I was like, how are you in trouble <laughs> being a doctor? <laughs> it makes sense, too, if you're saying when you had to go to your week shift once a month, you had to travel out of Sydney because you're in downtown Sydney or somewhere around there. Did you have to go to an urban hospital, you said, or something of that nature?
1: Yeah, that was a country, a urban. It was really a small town, very small town.
0: Yeah. How far away drive was it?
1: Like four hours.
0: Okay. That makes sense too. Now it's making more sense why you'd want to stay at home. If you're like gone for a week, you wouldn't want necessarily your own apartment and being gone for a week at a Yeah. I'm just trying to put together like why you're doing that. Cause I know when doctors usually come out of medical school, they're just ready to spin, spin, spin and do their thing. Cause they're about to make that money. But it sounds like you were always frugal. I guess this is what kind of alluding to, was that the case? Cause you wanted to eventually start your own business?
1: I was relatively frugal. I was fairly careful with spending money on my own things. I haven't really ever spent money on expensive cars, et cetera. Where I did go wrong, and I can talk about it later, is in investments. I wasn't necessarily good in investments, but we can talk about that later. But I was pretty frugal and I was saving a lot of that money. And then I was also investing some of it in... Because if you imagine doing the AdSense business. So I'm spending $400,000, i am earning 800000 but there's a time delay, right? So that it could take two or three months before you're getting that money back. And you need to have a certain amount of capital because you have to pay the money immediately, but then you have the time delay before you get the money. So you'd need to have up to a million dollars in capital to do what I was doing. And I'd build that up over time from my medical school and from the success in business as well.
0: At what point in what year you are you about to say you went to the Philippines? I'm just trying to get my arms around that, the date and timing there.
1: Yeah. So honestly, I probably haven't shared this before publicly, but one of the reasons I did that is because I went to see a guy because I'm doing all this offshore stuff, right? And so I'm talking to my accountant, like, what should I do? And he puts me onto a tax attorney who puts me onto this offshore tax guy. Now, luckily, I actually didn't do anything with this offshore tax guy. I didn't really do anything major wrong with my taxes. I did some minor things wrong, but I didn't do anything major like offshore with him. But what happened is that this guy was nabbed by the equivalent of the IRS in Australia, the tax authorities. He was nabbed at the airport, they got his laptop, and then they got the contacts of everyone on his laptop. And then one day, simultaneously all around Australia, they got every single person who was on the laptop like at six in the morning. So they went to my apartment. This is, I wasn't living with my parents. I was living in my own apartment this time. And they actually just knocked on the door and searched my apartment for anything to do with tax records. And then they went to my office and took all my computers, searched my computers, etc. So it freaked me out, like totally.
0: Were they hunting for those Google checks?
1: Like the Google checks, I had declared all that money. So it wasn't. Right. It was legit. Yeah.
0: It was another bad joke by me. Sorry, Rob.
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) but yeah, they were hunting basically because I'd seen this guy and because I was on his laptop they were hunting to see if I did the things that he was, which was basically setting up offshore companies and not declaring it. So I didn't do that luckily. And I did sort of only a few minor things, which I declared and then cleaned that up. But I was all freaked out. And then part of that was like, oh, well, I'm just, I'd heard about the Philippines as this low cost, right? Like you get a team because I also had three people in Australia and I had a personal assistant in Australia, which would have cost me at least 60,000 US dollars. And I'm like, Six thousand US dollars when I can go to the Philippines and I can get an assistant for like 5,000 US dollars. So I went to the Philippines and I just flew to Manila, which is the main city, then stayed in this nice hotel. And then I met with this recruitment firm who brought me all these candidates. I was going to get these CEO candidates who would then hire a whole team for me to execute because I was making money from all this affiliate stuff and I wanted to get a whole team to build out the development that I needed, the marketing that I needed, etc. They brought me three candidates, which looked amazing. You know, they're all $2,000 a month, all three of them. And all three of them looked amazing. And I hired all three. (laughs) So the Philippines did work out really well. And I still have people that are working with me now from that time, many years ago, that are still working with me today. It's just really super reliable people. Having a lower cost team is just incredible as well. Like it's very, very powerful. So yeah, I went to the Philippines, started building up the team there then actually moved to the Philippines. So I moved to the Philippines. I, I stopped being a tax resident of Australia, which means that I didn't have to pay tax in Australia as well. And it's a bit different in the US because I know in the US, if you're living outside the US, you still have to pay tax in the US. In Australia, in most countries, if you live outside of the country, I bought in a, a place in the Philippines. I lived in that place. So I was like definitely living in the Philippines. And then I didn't have to pay tax in Australia anymore. I just had to pay tax in the Philippines.
0: So what's the tax difference?
1: There's just definitely tax advantages. I don't think I'd want to go into all, all the details of it since it was quite a while ago, but
0: it's fine. Yeah. I'm just saying is it it was it forty percent in Australia and just estimate it, was it like ten percent in the Philippines? I'm just curious. Anyone who lives in the US, like you said, we don't have this advantage no matter what. I think we're one of two countries, or we might be the only one where no matter what, if you got US citizenship, you have to pay taxes. But I'm just curious from your point of view, it sounds kind of obviously advantageous.
1: Well, even in the US, if you live outside the US and you keep the money outside, Like you don't bring it back to the US, you can still do it tax free, but it has a lot of problems doing that. I know that I've had business partner do that before. And the problem is that they can never bring it back into the US. So, like, what's the point in having the money if you can't bring it back? And it's a lot of tax reporting and it's legit, but it's a lot of tax. It's sort of the same thing that Google does basically and that all these tech companies do. There's just more with a lot of these countries. Like, if you live in Singapore, you don't have to pay taxes offshore. Even if you're earning the money locally, then you do have to pay it. But if you're earning the money offshore, you don't. Have to pay taxes on it, whereas in Australia and the U.S., it doesn't matter where your money is earned; you pay taxes on it. So there's differences between each country in how it works.
0: But you're still making the same amount of money. You're just moving to the Philippines, and obviously the expenses are lower because the labor cost and wherever you're living. But the overall tax rate is it basically the same? Because it looks like just for me, quickly googling, I don't know if you're like at around thirty percent or so when you're in Australia versus being the same in the Philippines.
1: Yeah, but what I'm saying is that if you have a company. In Australia, is extremely strict in their tax rulings. You can't do anything. They actually have, literally have a law which says, if we think you're avoiding tax, you are. <laughs> That's True. what the law says.
0: Same thing with IRS. You're guilty till proven innocent, which is the exact opposite. If you go to trial, they have to prove that you're wrong. But with the IRS in the US, it's the exact opposite. You're guilty till proven innocent, like you're saying.
1: Right. What I'm saying is if you live in Singapore, for example, you live in Singapore and you earn money outside of Singapore, you don't have to necessarily pay taxes on the money you earn outside of Singapore. So you could earn like $10 million outside of Singapore. You could just bring 100000 in and you only have to pay tax on the 100000 That's my understanding. I'm not a tax expert. So that's my
0: understanding. I'm sure you looked at the laws after you got scared. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Probably the main reason I moved to the Philippines was from the point of view of having the team there and having the labor. And then the only way that I thought of doing things, like I didn't think about doing remote, right? I just thought, well, I have to have an office because when you have a business, your immediate thought is a business equals an office with people in it. It's like the psychological way that people think about businesses is like a business is an office with the people in it. And if you don't have that, it's not real. They don't think about a completely remote, global, distributed business is what I have now. So I didn't think about like just, well, I could hire the person in the Philippines from Australia. I didn't think about that. I thought you have to be there in the Philippines because I have to talk to them. I have to interact with them and I have to like, be physically present with them. So that's why I moved there. I ended up having quite a large team at one stage. When we were doing really well, I had probably like over 40 people all in an office, right? So that's super annoying. I have to tell you, now doing what I'm doing now, which is completely remote, having to, first of all, hire from only one city. How much does that restrict you? Right now, I can hire from every city in the world. Then I was only hiring from just one city, which was Cebu in the Philippines. It's like very limiting. You just, you're multiplying your talent pool by a hundred X if you're expanding outside of your own city. So I really think this remote style that I have now is so much better, but I didn't think about it in that time. And I didn't think it's possible. And I just, even if I was traveling like at that time or I was working from home and I didn't really come into the office that much because I couldn't be bothered. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't actually there. So, well, I was already remote a lot of the time, right? But still, I didn't think about it as, well, I can get them working from home because I just didn't have that way of thinking.
0: At one point, was there just like a light bulb moment? Because, again, you're still doing these Google Ads, and then eventually here is when you're going to make the transition to actually creating Time Doctor?
1: I was doing Google Ad and affiliates for a while and at one stage, I mentioned the $800,000 check. That's when I was doing the best. I was making really good money. Then it started to collapse a bit because Google pushed back and didn't want people to do it anymore. So that collapsed it and the affiliate stuff collapsed as well. The SEO stuff that I was doing, which was getting sites ranked and that was getting harder. Like in the beginning, that was a lot easier. So everything became a lot more difficult. So the amount of money that I earned came not as good. I wasn't earning the same money. And I'd set up this office, which was an expensive office. I'd fitted out myself and it was a nice office in Cebu in the Philippines at the time when I was making lots of money and then it collapsed. So I wasn't making as much money and the expense of the office became a factor too. So it wasn't just that I wanted to work from home, but it was that I wanted to actually cut the costs. I wanted to get rid of all of this monthly cost of the office. So what's the point in this? So that's why I decided to do that and just completely get rid of the office and can at the same time started building the software that I have now. I didn't think about it as a product to sell. I thought about, I'll just build it for myself to start with.
0: When you say you're gonna build it by yourself before what you're doing with affiliates and making money from Google, doesn't seem really relevant to building a software. so did you end up developing yourself or how were you able to do that?
1: There's some skills that are similar because I had developers as well. Like I had some of the developers that I still have now, they were working on this affiliate marketing stuff. So they'd build the websites that have automatically generated websites that would change dynamically, things like that. They're working with PHP and websites. But building a software is is a lot more intricate and difficult, and they weren't able to do that. They didn't have the skills to build that. So I had to go out there and try and see who I could find to do it. I actually searched on sites like Upwork. You're probably familiar with Upwork. I got several teams to do it, like I got a team that was 20 people and I thought, well, maybe the team could do it because they would be able to collaborate and they had more skills and together they could do it, but they were just really expensive and didn't work out. I got some guy in Palestine to do it and that didn't work out. So I tried multiple times, eventually I got a guy in Russia. It was also remote, like, so it was, it was a guy off one of these platforms and he was completely remote and then I just got him to do it and he seemed to be able to pull it together and he did the websites as well as the desktop side and he managed to do it. But I was really struggling trying to find the right talent because I wasn't a developer myself. And so I didn't know if people were talented and if they had the skills, so I just went off the ratings and it was a lot slower and more difficult than I thought to get it built in the beginning. But eventually we did get it built and then started using it myself, did that for a while and then thought, well, maybe I can sell this. Like I wasn't really doing so much of the affiliate stuff anymore. So I thought maybe I can sell this to other people. So I started offering it for free for a while and then actually did it as a paid product.
0: And so how long did it take to officially do this development? Because again, you're still making less money doing the affiliate stuff on the side. It sounded like the whole idea was again, to cut your costs and you know, you needed software to track these people to make sure they were working.
1: It actually collapsed almost completely. Really the amount of money that I made from affiliates and i made a huge amount of money, like a few million dollars. I was making very, very little maybe I should have just taken the money and traveled around the world, but I was still kind of in this mode of like, as an entrepreneur, I just wanted to do the next thing. So I was still working on this software on the side that eventually became the thing. I did try lots of other things as well, right? I had lots of startups during this time. I didn't mention yet how many failed startups I'd had, but I had at least 10 failed.
0: Jesus, that's a lot. I mean, I was thinking maybe you had like one or two.
1: Yeah, they're all kind of online stuff. So I did a website that was trying to detect if you were lying. Yeah. I don't know if you ever saw this TV program called Lie to Me, and it was about detecting lying and all of the little tales that you could have about detecting lying. So I had this website that was all around detecting lying. That was kind of a ridiculous idea. More recently, I have the domain peppermint.com. I tried to do a WhatsApp competitor. It was sort of similar to that, but more voicemail focused. That was an extremely ambitious project, which I was not able to achieve. What I learned from that one is don't try and do a free product. You know, these kind of WhatsApps or products like that, which are essentially free and make money from the advertising. They're great if you can be the WhatsApp. If you're not, if you're sort of second tier, you make absolutely nothing and it's a an nightmare. You have to have a business that just makes money, that's sell a product, make money. Yes, a free product is a really bad idea. And several other websites as well. I later on did a platform for hiring. So hiring people remotely, we did that. Had some reasonable success with that. But the main thing that we kept coming back to was Time Doctor because it's as business, software as a service is a really powerful business model because you are earning it monthly. Like everyone's paying you monthly. They're just automatic subscription on the card and it keeps building over time. You keep improving the product over time. You keep building the brand. So it's really good. As a business model, it's hard to start, Like it's really hard to start. Like, and actually, we didn't make any money until last year. So it's only last year that we started making a profit. It's taken literally seven years to make a profit in the business, but it was really now. It's an incredibly powerful business model, and we get lots of offers for people to buy us because they know it's a great business. <laughs>
0: Well, it's pretty amazing. It sounds like we're kind of just living off what you made on all those profits from the Google AdWords and affiliate marketing over the last 10 years, what'd you say? Over 10 years.
1: Yeah. I lived on those profits for 10 years, exactly. And I did invest the money. I made a lot of mistakes there as well. I made a few positive things, but in general, I was really bad when it came to investing money. I read everything to do with Warren Buffett. So I thought I wanted to be this kind of Warren Buffett type guy and be really super smart and careful and really effective and make 40% a year, etc. What I actually did was I wasn't careful at all. I was like really careless with my business partners. Like people stole money from me. I wasn't looking at the profit and loss statement at all. Like I was just very living, very carefree. I wasn't... The most important mistake that I made with investing is I didn't diversify enough. Like the really basic stuff that they teach you about if you're an investment advisor, diversify, be safe. You know, Warren Buffett talks about never lose your money. So I wasn't focused on that. I wasn't careful. I was basically careless. I did make some really good decisions like in 2008 in the housing crisis. I thought, what's the best thing? Because I had money from the internet at a few million dollars. And I thought, what's the best thing I can invest in? And I decided the best thing I could invest in was real estate in the US. That actually was right. That was a very good decision. But the way that I did it wasn't that great because I went to, I thought, well, I don't live in the US so I have to get a business partner. So I went and tried to find like lots of business partners. Thought, well, I will diversify the risk by having four or five business partners. Eventually, I've now all of them have fallen away. So I now have only one business partner who is a good business partner. But to be honest, what I should have done is not have a business partner at all. Just because I'm not in the US doesn't mean that I can't invest in, you can invest in like simple real estate, right? Something like what I should have done is just had simple houses that are like fairly new, have minimal problems in good areas and I would have done really well and it's very easy to do. And you can, I've got a partner to help me find those, give them a finder's fee. But by going 50-50, I'm losing a lot of my profit. I'm losing a lot of the upside. And even in the case where I've got a really great partner and that I still have this really great partner and we've done extremely well with a Florida real estate that hasn't gone as well as it could have because the fact that I'm giving away 50%. So he's done amazingly well. He's done, a lot of the properties have gone up 10 times over the last 10 years. And so they've done extremely well. But even despite that, probably would have been just as well off or better off by just doing it myself.
0: By the way, I mean, usually it's like if you bring all the equity and the guy's finding the deals and taking care of it with the management and everything, it's usually like you're 90% owner still and they're 10%.
1: Yeah. Oh, well, I did different types of deals. So I did it where you get it, where I get a 6% preferred return. Okay. I started off as a 10% preferred return. And then also he's putting in 10% and I'm putting in 90% of the equity. So it wasn't so bad. I certainly learned a lot.
0: Yeah. And so my suggestion, if it's okay with you, we'll wait till the end of the interview and we'll touch it because I remember you specifically wanted to talk about all these investing things. And I think it's actually pretty interesting because I haven't talked to really many entrepreneurs about this. Because a lot of us who are listening want to get to this point where we have extra money like you do to invest. So if it's all right with you, let's just jump back to the story of the Time Doctor, and then we'll wait till the end to talk about all these investment, like whether it's talking about real estate or whatever else. Sure. What others should watch out for? Because again, I think that's going to be interesting too. So jumping back to Time Doctor, do you want to just start in the beginning there? It's 2012 when it says it was there. Yeah. You were about 38 or so, if I'm doing my math right.
1: Yeah, that would be right.
0: And you're in Australia right now. Yep. And married, kids, anything like that?
1: No. So I was in the Philippines and then I was traveling a lot while I was in the Philippines as well. So I'd started traveling quite a bit. And
0: were you married at all? Still single?
1: I was single. I had a girlfriend. I met my wife about eight years ago that was in Ukraine, actually. So I was traveling around and then... I was just in different countries all the time and decided to go to Ukraine. out and I also had some developers in Ukraine. So I thought I'd just see how how it is. (laughs) Well, yeah we met there and then you
0: developed some love
1: you developed some love she went back to australia and then we became more focused on australia and once we had kids then we kind of settled down a little bit more but in terms of time doctor we had started in 2012 i got a business partner he's a minority partner because i'd already started and i would put in the money but i met him at south by southwest through another i went on a podcast actually many years ago and then i met this girl through the podcast and then she introduced me to this guy at south by southwest and then he wanted to get involved. And so he worked for free for a, a couple of years. And then at that time, we weren't making any money, right? So we'd started, we, we, it was a free product. Then I'd invested probably in the total amount that I invested was up to a million dollars in Time Doctor.
0: Jeez. Within a year or two or a couple of years? Would have been
1: over the first four years because we were really reinvesting a lot in the product, building it up. I was just excited about the product. And I would say that for this type of business, which is a SaaS business, in a lot of cases, it's easier if you do have that investment. If you don't have the investment, you kind of need to be a developer and you need to do it yourself. Otherwise, if you're not a developer, you need to have the investment because we also made mistakes. Like Part of that million dollars is mistaked, right? uh, a mistake, Is Getting it built and work out and then we had to build it again. And...
0: Just to reemphasize, no income and you're putting a million dollars into this over four years. Yeah. Jesus, so did you have just tens of millions in the bank?
1: No, not that much, like I had- About 10? Mid-millions and a bit less than
0: that, I think, yeah. All right, yeah, if you wanna keep going here after you're finally able to develop it, it took a couple of years like you were saying.
1: Yeah, so I built it out. We started getting the first free customers and then we made it a paid app. And then luckily a lot of them decided to go for it because they like the feature of the screenshots, understanding what the team is doing. A lot of them are using platforms like Upwork, but they didn't want to pay the 20% fee on Upwork, which adds up to quite a lot. So they'd hire the people directly, they'd find people in the Philippines directly. And then they would, like, one of the sites that we use is onlinejobs.ph. It's a great site for finding people. And then you find them, hire, them you get this assistant i know probably a lot of your listeners do have already personal assistants in the philippines and they use doctor for the tracking and the management and then paying them as well so then we just started developing the brand and we did a lot of content marketing people just heard about it word of mouth we were one of the earliest in the market for this type of software so that helped a lot and then it built up from there and then now just focused on reinvesting we became profitable last year because the SaaS business, it just keeps increasing every month. And then we froze our expenses for a while and then we started to become profitable. But actually now we're reinvesting because I want to try and grow faster. And for so this type of business, for a SaaS business, it makes sense to reinvest a lot. I think it really depends on the type of business, like a services business you shouldn't be investing a million dollars in the business it's not a good sign you shouldn't have funding you should just fund yourself a lot of businesses it's not a good sign that you need to fund the business and generally it's better if you don't have to but i think for a software as a service business it's maybe more necessary or it's more of a common path to raise money whether it's your own money or whether it's somebody else's money but to raise money to build the business
0: So why do you have 98 full contractors working on this thing? To me, from the outside perspective, I'm like, okay, I mean, obviously it took a while, but it seems like you'd only need a few developers full time to work on this.
1: You can do it more efficiently from the point of view of staff. In fact, we could let go of, I hope none of us start, none of our team are listening, but we could let go of like half of the team and things keeps running, right? Because it's a website, people are paying on the website. You need the customer support and you need a few people, but you don't absolutely need all the other people. But what we're doing is reinvesting for the future. So most of those people are trying to build it bigger and reinvest to become a bigger company. So that's the reason for the number of people. The reason that the number is high as well is because we've got a lot of lower cost as well. We've got a a large team in the Philippines, we've got a large team in India, a large team in Pakistan. It's not quite as costly for that team. And they're doing things like the link building, so we have quite a large link building team where they're reaching out to other websites to to see if they're interested in promoting us and we'll promote them, that kind of thing. We've got quite a lot of developers as well, we've got marketing developers, the sales team is also fairly significant.
0: So yeah, I guess that's what I'm trying to figure out what all these people are doing. You named off some of it, but it still seems just like a huge undertaking versus like maybe hiring an agency to do it. But I understand you're saying these are low costs. So this might be equivalent to like 30 people in the U.S. maybe.
1: Yeah, yeah, it could be even less.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know.
1: 30 or 20. It's hiring an agency, I don't really... Recommend it as a core strategy because the agency has their margin. You don't control it. And they have all their clients. They're not really focused on you. They're focused on getting the next client. They're focused on getting more profits. They're not putting all of their attention on focus on you. So I think it's better if you can develop capabilities in house. Of course, agencies for certain things maybe are good. We used a split testing agency at one stage. That was good. Right now, we're using an agency for Facebook ads. Maybe it's going to work, maybe not. But yeah, we use agencies for some things
0: maybe a stepping stone might help people is like, hey, join the Facebook group first. And then maybe you can see some of these people and then hopefully join our group calls there.
1: I have to admit, you know, the Facebook group is good, but it doesn't even compare to the group calls. And even though the group calls
0: are only once a month, it's just something that is light years better than even being on Facebook. And so I know you're like, oh yeah, Facebook, but no, it's, it really, I mean, it is
1: that much different. And I feel like it's almost like the VIP experience where someone's trying to make a meeting to get to that next level, to that CEO or CFO.
0: And I feel like in this call, I'm getting all of that. I'm getting five CEOs or five CFOs, like all there in the call to give me feedback. And it's amazing. It really is. Well, Erica, I've got good news for you.
1: What? What's the good news?
0: Become a member to find out. Yeah. Looking at the time to act or even the beginning and the four years that it took to start, let's go over some negative things because I don't feel like we've really hit on him. What would you have done differently? I know you've said multiple times something about not doing free again.
1: Yeah, that is probably a minor mistake in the beginning. We did have it as a free product. We should have made it paid sooner. And a lot of people talk about that. Another huge mistake is regarding the rewrite. So we rewrote the product and this is difficulty with having like an old code base. And we didn't really prepare it. We didn't have the technical talent at the time. So we had a lot of decisions that were made technically that weren't that great. And then we started to rewrite the product, but we didn't commit to it. So we didn't make a full commitment to the new rewrite and rewriting is got to be an all or nothing thing. Usually it's a bad decision to rewrite actually. It's usually not necessary and a bad decision to rewrite your software. But in this case, I think we made the right decision to rewrite it and went full ahead with that another thing that we've done recently is raising prices or at least having different pricing options which we didn't do previously which is could have tried that earlier i think Nothing that I've done that is difficult, I've always been a bit drawn to the next shiny thing, right? So I've tried so many different side businesses and none of them have really worked. Part of the reason they haven't worked is because of the focus part of them, because the idea maybe wasn't good, but to make the most money, I probably should have focused and put a, all my focus on time. That's hard for me though, because I sometimes get bored right after a while. And that's I'm, right now I'm trying to leverage myself. So I get COO later in the year and I have the whole business. Business is managed and I'm kind of doing different things because if I'm doing the same thing year after year I get bored I want to do the next thing but doing the next thing and not putting my whole focus on it often it's just the reason we could have done better is just purely the amount of focus and drive and attention I put into everything So I put a certain amount of attention drive and focus and I'm very productive but if I'd done 20% more I think we could have done a lot better and one of our competitors is doing really well I think we could be doing much better than what we are now. Like we're doing well, but if you compare us to a lot of other software as a service companies, we're not doing nearly as good as many of them. So I don't think we're that, we're certainly behind our potential, even though we're doing well.
0: What's it going to take to live up to it?
1: Hiring the right people now and putting all of my attention and focus onto it. that's, That's probably the two key things.
0: Do you just want to hire somebody and do something else? Because that's what it sounds like in your voice I'm kind of what you're talking about. Like you're looking for something else and then you can hire people to take over the company, basically.
1: Not sure if I'm going to go there, I'd like to completely take over, but to take over what I'm doing on a day to day. So if, even if I continue in the company, but then I can think higher level, more strategic, I can get things done in a better way but not do the same thing week on week. I have the same weekly meetings that I've been having for the last three years. Several of them I'm still doing, right? I'm doing the recruitment. I'm managing the recruitment team through our recruitment leader. And I'd like to get out of that and have somebody else do that. So that's what I'm talking about. So once I get to that space and I have a lot of free time, then the question is, what do I do with my time? Maybe it's acquiring other companies. Maybe it's focusing on how we do things better. But first of all, it's freeing myself up to just not do my day-to-day. So that's the constant struggle that I'm trying to do.
0: Well, you might have to use this software that I've heard of called Time Doctor to see what you're doing, yeah. log up what you can outsource, right?
1: Yeah, I do use that from time to time. I actually check what I did in the last month and see what I can outsource.
0: Do you like that software or no?
1: Yeah,
0: I love the software. Fantastic. It seems like you're in a good scenario. Like if you didn't have all this money in the bank, then I think maybe you would have made it happen faster and stuff. But it seems like you had the luxury, which is good for you because you're able to do this when you're younger, make all that money with through Google is like, okay, you could try these other things and you don't know that the other ones weren't going to necessarily work. I know you said you had like 10 side businesses you tried, but there could have been a chance that maybe one of those took off and you'd rather do that than what you ended up creating with Time Doctor.
1: That's true. It's not necessarily that bad that I did these side projects. And I think there's a balance there. Like doing a little bit of it is okay. If I am doing the side betters and making sure that I'm absolutely handling my main business in the best way possible, getting the right people on the team. So it's hard to say what the best avenue is. Usually the ones who are the most successful in life. Like I look at Atlassian, who's the most successful tech company in Australia. They're worth 6 billion or whatever they're worth. I don't know. I think it's 20 billion. So they started in 2000. I mean, it w- wasn't that much earlier than I really, I started like in affiliate and, and AdSense in 2006, right? Facebook started in 2006. So, I mean, look at where Facebook is compared to where I am at. One of the reasons for that is their level of focus and dedication. So the Alaskan guys started in 2000. They dedicated and focused on their product for 20 years. And then just kept building, building, building momentum, momentum, momentum. So I started in 2006. The strategy that I was doing with the affiliate, it wasn't possible to have momentum because there's no momentum with that. It's like a one-time hack rather than a real business. Similarly with Time Doctor, I started in 2012, but I wasn't really putting all of my attention into it. I put a lot of attention and I put enough to make it successful. But if I'd really focused, I probably would be better off, I'd say. And maybe it's hard for me psychologically to do that because I want the next thing. And sometimes you get bored of your existing thing. But I would say like looking at it objectively, I would say I'd be better off if I had focused everything on the one business and I just kept at it and really gone for it and tried to be the best I could be.
0: Yeah, that's what the one thing Warren Buffett and Bill Gates said at the same time, someone asked him on stage, you know, what's the number one thing that drove your success? And both of them at the same time said focus. I can definitely understand that. But again, you earned that luxury from what you did before. Dude, I get the same way after a couple of years. I get bored doing the same thing. Like you're saying, having the same meetings. And for me, I've been within the podcast, I've been doing some of the similar tasks for over the last year. And now I've gotten to that point. I'm like, okay, I got to stop. Like, I got to find someone else and let them do it. And I think we all reach those points where, okay, we hone back in and we get more focused. But what was the name of the Australia company that you kept saying?
1: Atlassian. Their main product is Jira.
0: How do you spell either of those? I have no idea how to spell either of those.
1: You can just look up Jira. J I R A. It's very, very common product. It's a lot of pretty much most of Silicon Valley would be using it. It's for tracking tasks for developers so that they know what tasks they're working on.
0: Okay, so J-I-R-A at the end. Yeah. Okay, and then the Jira. Yeah, J I R A space software, so people could check that.
1: So, I'm just comparing myself to other people that look, I'm doing well, I'm making good money, but I could be doing a lot better. And they also talk about the Alaskan guys and Facebook also. They talk about the long term. They talk about what are we going to do 20 years from now? What are we doing? Like, they're looking at this very, very long term view, and the momentum is so big right in business I'm getting the positive effects of momentum now right I look at my wife is trying to start a business it's so hard she's starting from nothing it's really hard but when you get to a certain point of momentum it's really powerful and just keeps going and going and I've got a certain amount lassie has got much bigger amount and also there's other companies but they're really focused on the long term and I think that's what's something that I'm learning from myself that I really want to focus on that long term
0: well hopefully you've learned it now so Yeah, (laughs) It's better to learn now than never, right? Being able to focus and figure out what you're able to do. But I think I've heard too, like the point of happiness is, you know, having some goals in front of you, you want people to strive for you, but then also not being the back of pack as far as like where all your companies failed, like you're in the middle. So you still have someone to strive for. So depending on your personality, for me, it'd be like, okay, motivation, right? And then they can easily get sidetracked too. You don't look at their profit and loss statements, right? So even though they seem big, not everything's always as great as it looks. It seems like overall, looking back on your story, everything's worked out pretty well. I think the main hurdles it sounded like was just how long it took to build this, your latest software and eventually just making it profitable now. Is that kind of the hardest part of business for you if you're looking back on your story right now?
1: The hardest thing is how long it took in the beginning, for sure. And then the other hard things is the times when actually the software went down and I'm not technical. So in the beginning, that was really scary because you can lose your whole customer base if it goes down for too long. Right. That was really difficult. There's a lot of challenges that I had to overcome, like simple things like I wasn't living in the U.S. It's a U.S. company, so I have a U.S. company, but I'm not a U.S. citizen. It's hard to get a bank account and it's also hard to get a merchant account. So just even getting a merchant account or trying to fill out the forms, like some people might even get stopped by that, but I'm just like, no, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll keep going. I also had crazy experiences with bank accounts, like I was living... It was in Australia, and then my main bank account with Chase. So I called them uh, to try and sort something out. I got locked out of my account. I failed the authentication twice on the phone. They said, oh, you've got to come into the branch. And I'm like, I live in Australia. I had to literally fly 16 hours.
0: Oh, my God. I do not think you'd really have to do that.
1: Yeah, for 10 minutes to go to the bank, and then, like, get in. It's literally 10 minutes. Oh, okay, we verified you. Fly 16 hours back.
0: <laughs> That's pretty wild. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. So looking at that, and then you also wanted to talk about some of the investing, right, that you've done successfully or unsuccessfully, more likely.
1: Yeah, there's quite a few that have big mistakes. So the partners that I mentioned in...
0: Well, can we stop it there? If you don't mind, I think I mentioned this before. It sounds like there's a lot of investment advice you have. If we could do a second part of the interview, where maybe we talk about that for like 30 minutes or so, would that be okay with you? Yeah, sure, sure. Okay, yeah, so we'll plan on that. We'll have a second portion of this interview where we'll talk about that. I think we've pretty much hit everything in your story though as far as like how you got here. So if you don't mind, do you have any last words of wisdom for anyone who's listening now before we'll talk about your investment advice on another later episode here?
1: I think one of the things that differentiated me in success now, and also with the Google AdSense, was how much I just executed when I saw something that was working. The Google AdSense strategy was a simple strategy, and it was quite easy for people to see it. And I was making, like I mentioned, one stage four hundred thousand per month, which is huge. But you know, there were some people that were doing exact same thing; they were making five thousand a month. So why was I making 400 and they're making five? It's just because I literally executed 100 times bigger than them. I had a team. I built lots of websites. I did lots of stuff. But then there were some people that were making a million dollars a month, two million dollars a month. So they executed better than me. You see like the level of execution doing exactly the same strategy in this case. Like they were pretty much the people doing a million dollars a month, people doing 5,000 a month. They were doing exactly the same thing as me. It was no way you could make money with Google AdSense and everyone could see it. It was pretty obvious when you looked what was going on. You could see it all over the web. If you saw it, like literally you just sit on Google AdWords and you see all these people advertising, like wouldn't you think, Well, why are they advertising? Maybe I'll try that. Then if I try it, am I gonna make $1,000 a month, I'm going to make 5000 It's literally yours for the taking. Is That's what I'm trying to get the uh, the concept. It's literally how much you do it. You take big action, you take massive action, or you take a small amount of action. And that's the difference. That's really big lesson for life in general. If, if you find something that's working just to execute to a really high degree and try to do it and be the person who makes a million a month rather than the person who makes.
0: Well, oh, yeah. Well, thank you for the wise words of wisdom. I guess if anyone want to say thank you for doing the interview, what's the best way for them to reach out and say thank you?
1: Yeah, you can try to find me on timedoctor.com. We also have a conference runningremote.com, which is a conference about working remotely, which is in Austin in April. You can basically just use the contact ask form, say, I want to talk to Rob. It's probably the easiest and I can chat to you there.
0: Okay, cool. Thanks for coming on, and we look forward to, I guess, doing that second part of the interview where we can learn a lot more about those investment mistakes you sounds like you've had along your journey.
1: Sure. Yeah, I'll chat to you then.
0: And that special second episode with Rob is available to penetrate your eardrums right now on your Patreon feed. Plus, you got... Holy... I see over... We got 15 Patreon episodes for you guys, so... We've got multiple group calls, we got Starting Your First Business, Minutes After You're Born with Amy Power, Rain Mahadi, It's $500 Startup, What, oh, Chris Castiglion? The Problem with Family Culture in the Workplace? Oh my goodness, look at all these episodes we got for you guys who are members. So if you want to be one of those special guys, gals, or non-genders, be sure to join. Right, George? <laughs> and to hear our special announcement... And become a member, you can go to millionaire-interviews.com forward slash Patreon.